Please take your copy of God's Word. Let's turn together to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, our text this morning, verses 16 to 21. So we come to this last paragraph uh, in Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. We've already looked somewhat extensively at verse 16 on Reformation Day. We'll now put verse 16 back in its context uh, and hear what Jesus has to say here at the end of this conversation with this one who's come to him by night. But in order to hear all that God has for us in his word this morning, we need his help and the help of the Holy Spirit. So let's ask him for it. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, we do come to you as your people this morning, desiring to hear the word of the Lord. We know that your word, Lord, is used mightily, powerfully, because your word is alive. It's living, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing apart the bones and the marrow, the, the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. And so, Lord, we pray, use your word in our lives today. Holy Spirit, we pray, come, open our eyes of faith that we might see glorious riches in this portion of your gospel. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, John chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed." But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I don't know if you missed this news item this year, but 2021 saw the end of the television show, the the primetime midday television show, Judge Judy. I know you're sad about that. But Judge Judy, 25 years she was on television. Each year, except for the COVID year of 2020, 260 episodes, over 5,000 episodes of Judge Judy. She won three primetime Emmys. She made millions of dollars. And really, if you've seen one of those shows, you've seen all 5,000. Because, as you know, you've seen one of them. I've seen exactly one of them. Uh, it's really a simple idea. Uh, the, the, it sets up as a kind of small claims court. The two parties enter into binding arbitration. They agree that whatever Judge Judy uh, decides, they will agree to. And so they come and they present their case. One side presents their case. The other side presents their case. She ends up treating it more like the Supreme Court where she interrupts them along the way, trying to get them to refine their arguments. And then at the end of it, she will say, uh, the judgment is for so-and-so. For this amount of money or whatever the, 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 uh, the, the final judgment would be. 
And then she'll close by saying, that's all, or goodbye, or you're dismissed. And they walk out, they talk to the television cameras, uh, and away they go. Uh, it, it was brilliant daytime television, but, but it got me thinking. I mean, there, there are times, aren't there, where it would be great to go before a judge like Judge Judy and to be able to kind of have someone adjudicate kind of our small claims, not even really small financial claims, but even relationship claims, to go before the judge and with someone you're frustrated with and to be able to give, have your say, to have someone say, here's the judgment, here's the verdict. I find in favor of Sean Lucas, because of course Sean Lucas is always going to be right, I find in favor of Sean Lucas in this sort of way uh, and... Goodbye. The matter is settled. Wouldn't it be great to go before the judge and have a verdict like that? Well, there are some times where it actually wouldn't be great. There actually are some times where to hear the judgment, to hear the verdict, would actually be soul-shaking. You see, the outstanding feature of the text we just read is found in verse 19 where the judge himself, Jesus Christ, says, and this is the judgment. This is the verdict. This verdict, this, this, this authoritative statement, this most basic fact in the world is what? Well, the judgment is that men and women and boys and girls are, stand condemned. Stand condemned before the judge of all the earth and they remain in darkness. And this judgment is true, not just for a subset of humanity, uh, some subset of individuals who are beyond the pale. No, this, this judgment, this verdict that Jesus renders includes all of us. All human beings descended from our first parents, Adam and Eve. We all stand under this verdict. Under this judgment, we all stand, Jesus says, under the condemnation of God. Now, in order to understand that, we have to ask three questions of our text this morning. Namely, who are the condemned? If, if this is the judgment, if this is the verdict, who are the condemned? Why are they condemned? And then finally, is there any hope? Is there any hope for those condemned? So first question this morning. Who are the condemned? Now, I ask that because on the surface, if you read just verses 16 and 17, it's a surprise that anybody's condemned. After all, verse 16, the most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world. And then verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And so there are those who would read those first two verses of this paragraph, verses 16 and 17, and say, well, well, this is clear then. If God so loved the world and he sent his son not to, con to condemn the world, but to save the world, then God certainly accomplishes his purpose and no one's condemned. There are those who, who call themselves universalists who say these verses tell us that God's yes is far stronger than our no. And in the end, the God of all the universe who says yes to humankind shall in fact accomplish his purpose. Well, perhaps that would be the case if you didn't have what follows. Because even with the assurances that God so loved the world, 
and that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him, it's clear from Jesus' words, his own words, that some, in fact, are condemned. So I ask you again, who are the condemned? Verse 18 tells you, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him, excuse me, whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So, so what is Jesus saying here? He's saying this is the verdict. This is the judgment. The difference between those who are condemned and those who are not condemned, the difference between those who perish eternally and those who know life forever is faith alone. Is faith alone. Faith in Jesus Christ. But then that means we need to probe a little bit further because if believing in the name of Jesus, the only Son of God, is in fact the dividing line, then, then we have to ask, what does it mean to believe? What does it mean to believe in the name of the only Son of God? Well, to believe in the name of the only Son of God, Jesus, is more than simply having intellectual propositional truths that we know about. It's more than simply knowing certain doctrines or certain facts about the Bible. But to be sure, it's not less than that. We need to know facts about the Bible. We need to know facts about Jesus. We need to know doctrines. But simply knowing those doctrines or knowing about those doctrines or knowing about those truths, that's that's not to be equated with believing in the, the name of the one and only Son of God, Jesus. I mean, to, let's go a little further. To believe in the name of Jesus, the one and only Son of God, is more than mentally assenting to the fact that those propositional statements are true. It's more than saying that Jesus is the Son of God, and, and yes, I believe that's true. Or Jesus has been raised from the dead, and, and yes, I believe that's true. Uh, it's more than that. It's not less than that. We, we need to believe these facts are true. But when Jesus says here that the dividing line between those who are condemned, who perish eternally, and those who know life eternal, is believing in the name of the only Son of God, he means more than an intellectual propositional knowing, and he means more than assenting that those things are so. No, to believe in the name of Jesus, the one and only Son of God, means to rest upon him. To rest upon him completely. To rely on him utterly. Now, in order to help children understand that, through the years that I've taught communicants class, I do a lot of crazy things with with children in communicants class, especially to try to keep them awake and engaged. Sometimes they can't really believe that the guy in the black dress is doing some of these things, but be that, right, black dress, get that. One of the things that I do in order to help them understand the nature of faith is, of course, we always have tables because they have notebooks and they're taking notes, is I actually will lay on the table. You know, I actually test the table beforehand to make sure it's not going to crash under my weight, right? But then I, I actually say, okay, kids, this is what it means to believe. And I get up on the table, and I get my entire body on the table. I'm laying completely on the table, and they're laughing because they can't believe the pastor's laying on the table. And I say, 
Is any part of me on the ground? No. So what's holding me up? The table. I'm actually resting here. Is there any part of me that's holding myself up? No. Am I relying completely on the table? Yes. That's the picture. You're not resting upon anything that you have, anything that you are, anything that you do, any intelligence that you might bring to the table, any effort that you might make. There's nothing you're resting upon. There's nothing you're relying upon except for Jesus. You are resting upon and relying upon Jesus. And friends, that's not something that happens in your head. That's something that actually takes place in your heart. When you come to the place of true trust in Jesus, you are resting upon him and relying upon him, not just for eternal life at the end of the age, but right now, this moment. John Calvin puts it this way. He said, we ought to observe that we are called to a knowledge of God, not that knowledge which, content with empty speculation, merely flits in the brain, but that which will be sound and fruitful if we duly perceive it and if it takes root in the heart. And that knowing of God that takes root in the heart is a kind of resting and relying upon and ultimately receiving Jesus as your everything. That's the dividing line. That's the verdict. Those who are not resting upon Jesus, not relying upon him entirely, for this life and the life to come are condemned already. But that brings a second question. That why are they condemned? Because honestly, if the only thing that's required of men and women and boys and girls in order to escape condemnation and to know eternal life is to rest entirely upon Jesus Christ, to rely entirely upon Jesus as the only Son of God, as, as crucified and resurrected for me, if, if that's all they require, why don't people do that? Why do men and women and boys and girls not believe in the name of Jesus, the only Son of God? Why is it that men and women and boys and girls would prefer to be condemned, to perish eternally, to go to hell, rather than rest and rely upon Jesus alone? Well, Jesus gives a two-part answer here. He says that men and women and boys and girls would prefer to be condemned rather than believe in the name of the only Son of God, Jesus Christ, because they love the darkness. You see it in verse 19? He says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness. As readers of John's gospel, we know that Jesus is, in fact, the light who has come into the world. Uh, he is, in fact, the one in whom and through whom we come to see the very glory of God. The Apostle Paul later in 2 Corinthians will say that. Paul will say that the glory of God shines in the face of Jesus Christ. When you look at Jesus, the light, you see the glory of God. Jesus is the one in whom the utter purity, the utter, utter holiness of God is displayed. He would be tempted as we are in all points yet without sin. And repeatedly, when it, whenever the demons confronted him, what did they call him? The Holy One of God. And Jesus 
we find the one who, who brings the warmth of God's love near. Je- Jesus will call John the Baptist a, a, a bright and shine, a, a shining and burning light. But if John the Baptist was a shining and burning light, one who, who brought light and heat, the heat of God's love near, surely if John the Baptist was that way, so Jesus is. When you come to know Jesus, or you come to see Jesus' light, you come to know the warmth of God's love. And yet, what does Jesus say? The light is coming to the world. People love the darkness instead. Instead of God's glory, they, they prefer the emptiness of human praise. Instead of God's holiness, they prefer the corruption of their disordered desires. And instead of God's love, they prefer all the lesser loves of this life. But, but this, this loving of the darkness, it's, it's more than a preference for lesser things. No, Jesus says that human beings love the darkness. Go to Beale Street on a Friday or Saturday night. Go to Bourbon Street in New Orleans or the Strip in Las Vegas. Extreme examples, perhaps, but there you will see how it is that people love the darkness. Go to the adult stores on the interstate that are constantly advertised on the billboards. Go to the back bedroom where, where the man or the woman's clicking furtively on the computer screen or are working on their iPad, seeing things to satiate their lust. Go, go to the tailgate where people have been drinking way too long. And you'll see how it is that people love the darkness. And yet you don't have to go out there. No, we can look in our own hearts and the way we love the darkness. The way we love the darkness and we can't give it up. There's a tragic scene from an otherwise funny book that, I, that just always comes to mind at this point. Some of you have read Bill Bryson's book, A Walk in the Woods, where Bryson talks about and charts his, his attempt to hike the Appalachian Trail. He doesn't make it very far, but along his way, he brings his friend Katz, uh, who he's known for years and years and years. Uh, after they break off the hike, uh, they go their separate ways. Toward the end of the book... Uh, Bryson tracks Katz down, and uh, to his frustration, his friend's friend Katz, who's an alcoholic, has gone back to drinking. And when Bryson confronts him, Katz confesses this. He said, I never had more than three, I swear to God. I know what you're going to say. Believe me, everybody said it already. I know I can't drink. I know I can't have a couple of beers like a normal person, that pretty soon the number will creep up and up and up and out of control. I know that. But here he stopped again, shaking his head. But I love to drink. I can't help it. I mean, I love it, Bryson. I love the taste. Love the buzz you get when you've had a couple. Love the smell and feel of the taverns. Even though it was going to kill him, he loved it. And even though the darkness is going to kill us, we love the darkness too. We are these people, aren't we? We love the darkness because we live the darkness. I mean, that's the rest of what Jesus says in verse 19. This is the judgment. Light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Notice, those who love the darkness hate the light because they're living in the darkness, 
because they don't want their darkness exposed, because they want to cling to the darkness. Dark lives come ultimately out of dark hearts. That's what the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 4. He tells us there that those who live dark lives are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardness of their heart. They become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. You hear what Paul's saying? Those who love the darkness and live the darkness actually are dark. Their understanding is dark. Their hearts are dark and hard and callous. Their lives are dark and sensual and greedy and impure. But again, here's the thing. We're all this way. Elsewhere, the Apostle Paul will say there's none righteous. No, not one. There's none who seek after God. None who does what's right. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. This is true of all of us. So that so that all of us, outside of Jesus Christ, all of us stand condemned. And that's true even if you grew up in this church. Even if you were catechized. Even if you know all of the Bible studies and can quote hundreds of verses. Even if you went to a Christian school. Even if you, if you now embrace your darkness as your identity and you want to tr- chuck everything that went before and, and claim that which you should be ashamed of is something that you're proud of. It's still true. This is the verdict. We all stand under the condemnation of God. Which brings us then to the final question. Is there any hope? Is there any hope for those who are condemned? Because we all deserve to be condemned. We all deserve to be damned. We all deserve to perish as we cling to our dark lives and our corrupted loves. Is there any way to be free? Well, yes, the the passage tells us And it tells us two ways, two things, to call and to come. It tells us to call, and and calling especially in line with believing twice. This short passage, we're told, whoever believes in him should not perish. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. And so the way to be rescued from condemnation, the condemnation you and I deserve, is to believe in Jesus, not just to know about him, not just to say certain things are true. After all, the devils know true things about God, James tells us, and they shudder. No, not just to know about him and to say certain things are true, but to rest upon Jesus, to rely upon him. And when you do this, when you rest upon Jesus and you rely upon him, you call out to him. It's the first sign of trusting in Jesus is to call out to him. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Three times Paul tells you how to be saved, how to be rescued from condemnation, how to be rescued from perishing eternally. What do you do? Believe, call. Believe and call. And so call on him. You're saying, Sean, I've already called on him. When I was six years old, 66 now, when, I'm six, when I was six years old back there, of course, I've been dallying with the darkness for years. I've been lukewarm about Jesus for years. But back there, I called him. Well, that's fine. Call on him today. Call on him today. And tell him, tell him that you've been dallying with the darkness. 
Telling them, tell him that you've been lukewarm about him. Some of you haven't called on, out on Jesus for, for weeks and 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 months and months and months and months. Maybe even years to be sure you prayed over your meals and you know, you know, you've texted someone thoughts and prayers with you, but, but you've not really called on Jesus. And said, Jesus, I'm, I'm tired of me. I'm tired of my darkness. I'm tired of my mess. I'm tired of feeling as though I'm just being sucked into my sin over and again. I'm tired of the mess that I've made. Jesus, I'm pushing all my chips in on you. I'm, I'm, I'm not messing around anymore. I know that my way is going to kill me. I know that I love my sin. Teach me to hate it. But Jesus, I need you. Maybe you need to call out to him right where you are, where you're seated. If you're viewing the, via the live stream, in your living room, wherever you are, call out to him. Call out to him. And when you call out to him, what's ultimately happening is you're coming to him. You're coming into the light. That's what Jesus says at the end of this. Whoever does what is true comes to the light. So that it may be clearly seen that his works uh, have been carried out in God. Come to the light. That, and what, what you'll find when you call out to him and you come into the light, is that what you've hated before? Jesus, now you'll love. And that which you loved before, the darkness, now you begin to hate. Or that which you were lukewarm about before, Jesus, his people, his word, his way, now you can't get enough of. And because you've come to him, and you've come into the light. And above all, that, that verdict, the pronouncement of, of condemnation, it goes this way now. You do deserve hell. You who deserve condemnation, you who are a criminal and a rebel against God and his uh, God and, and your king, what does he say now? Come, welcome. Welcome, child. Enter into your rest. Enter into your joy. Enter into the life of the future that I'm giving you right now. Enter into a way of saying no to your sin and yes to me over and over again. But in order for that to happen, you need to call out. You need to come and you need to say, out of my darkness, sorrow and night, Jesus, I come. Out of, into thy freedom, gladness, and light. Jesus, I come to thee. Out of my sickness, into thy health. Out of my wanting, into thy wealth. Out of my sin, into thyself. Jesus, I come to thee. Will you? Will you come? Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we're going to sing this now. Help us to sing this with some measure of authenticity. Help us not to sing simply words, check out, wonder what the NFL games are doing, wondering about what's for lunch. Lord, please, this place is awesome because you are here. You are calling us. May we call out and come to you this morning. Grant us this, Lord, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.